Hello and welcome to Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy, and this week it is to the revolution, the uh, trashy revolution, I suppose. Alicia, what is even happening in your brain? Ah, oh, friends, Alicia here, and it is a tale of marital misadventure this week by the time we get to the end of the story. But before that, a little backstory, and after... 21 seasons, I really do like when inspiration happens in ways I do not anticipate. This week, Stacy, you and I were lucky enough to see Hamilton the Musical finally. here in Atlanta. Finally. finally. We've wanted to probably since 2016. We saw it, the touring company at the fabulous Fox Theater, and what a night. Absolutely. Thank you, best auntie of mine, for that generous and most delightful birthday gift. Mm -hmm. We had an amazing time, and it was a Thrilled to see Hamilton staged. We've loved it for a long time. It was excellent. Great night. But it did make me think about perhaps a twist for you this week with the trashy divorce of Aaron Burr. Sir. I covered this story ages ago over on the Trashy Divorces Patreon back in October 2019. If you're a Patreon supporter, we love you. But if you're thinking I've already heard this, no, you haven't. It's a brand new recording. I'm not even going to re-air that archived episode in its original form because, wow, there were so many pets. The language is a little saltier than y'all are typically used to in a main feed episode. Sure. And honestly, I can tell a better story now. So I donned my very fancy riding gloves. Mm -hmm. I trust you'll understand the reference to another Scottish tragedy without me having to name the play. We're doing it today, Aaron Burr. Sure, he's the murderer of Alexander Hamilton, mm -hmm. but also this story has everything. Tragic backstory, world history connected through a landscape of bad, bad behavior. We have affairs, we have divorces, we have political scandals, war, and a little family vengeance too. Literally everything you could want in a trashy divorces story, and I am not throwing away my shot this week to tell the story of Aaron Burr. Sir. <laughs> Should we go, go, go? Click boom. Oh, Aaron Burr. Complicated character in the landscape of history. Maybe he's a nefarious villain. Maybe he's a side piece. Maybe he's a rake, a rogue, a spy, a murderer. It's Aaron, a lot. It's a lot. Aaron Burr is an Aquarius child. He was born February 6th, 1756 in Newark, New Jersey. New Jersey is still a colony here. Mm -hmm. Aaron's mother, her name is Esther. Esther is the daughter of Jonathan Edwards. He's a really important mm -hmm. theologian. Sure, great awakening stuff. I'll hold on to your pants. Okay. You're not even... <laughs> Holding on to my pants. It is incredible. So Aaron's dad, Aaron Burr Sr., is a minister and also one of the co-founders of the College of New Jersey, which in 1896 becomes Princeton University. The College of New Jersey... At that time, Aaron's dad founds that he's working there. This particular place is the epicenter, at least for the education and culture of the Scottish-Irish America 
at the time. In 1746, the College of New Jersey is founded. It's used as a training place for ministers. It evolves a little bit after, but it educates many, many leaders of our new country before it happens. Aaron Burr Jr. is from a big deal family. Little bit of a twist on this story, though. Let's talk about Aaron Sr. and Esther, Aaron Burr's parents, for a minute. Aaron Burr Sr. attended Yale University. Well, it was Yale College then, but it's Yale. Aaron Burr Sr. knows Jonathan Edwards, Esther's father, his future bride, and Jonathan Edwards' wife, Sarah. Now, listen to how twisty this is. Jonathan Edwards' wife, Sarah, she is the daughter of James Pierpont, who's the founder of Yale. Okay. It is. These are prominent. Oh, so connected. So upstart dad, the father of Aaron Burr, you know, Aaron Burr Jr. gets it from somewhere. So why not establish a college? It's too much. No one is as far apart as you think they are. We're all so very connected. So Aaron Burr Sr., he's a minister and he essentially plays a really big part in, you just mentioned, the Great Awakening, at least the first one. There have been a few. Trashy Divorces is not necessarily the place to unpack all the levels of every great awakening through history, but essentially there were religious revivals in American Christian history. Aaron Burr, today's subject, his father and grandfather are important players in all of that during the time frame when it's happening. Okay. Aaron Sr., minister, educator, co-founder of College of New Jersey. Princeton one day, is going to become an important factor in this story because members of the Burr family get to attend Princeton for free. Mm. It's kind of a side benefit. So he did not need to punch the bursar. No, 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 no. Didn't need to punch the bursar at all. It makes sense here as Aaron's father works so hard in the founding of the College of New Jersey that He dies in September of 1757 from exhaustion at the age of 41. Yikes. And Aaron Jr. is a year old? One and a half. Wow. Okay. That's the fall of uh, 1757. Dad dies of exhaustion, leaving little Aaron. But I said there are a lot, lot lot of tragedy here. When dad dies, he leaves an estate of about 10,000 pounds to his son, Roll through to the spring of the following year, and little Aaron's mother, Esther, dies of smallpox at the age of 26. Well, this is awful. Aaron is two years and two months old when that happens. Even worse, because the tragedy is only just beginning. I told you to hold on to your tragedy pants. (laughs) Esther's parents, Aaron's grandparents... Jonathan Edwards, Aaron's grandfather, gets taken out in that same round of smallpox. Oh, no. With his mom, followed by his grandmother a month later of dysentery. Wow. So within six months, Aaron loses both parents. Sure. Grandparents. Aaron and his sister are orphans at a very young age. Wow. Tragic backstory unlocked. Now. Little Aaron and his sister are sent to Philadelphia with a doctor and his wife. 
this is really where it gets fun. The doctor and his wife, well, the doctor, his name is William Shippen. William Shippen is one of the representatives to the Continental Congress in Philadelphia. And there's a spider web here that is really, really too good not to share. Okay, William Shippen is the grandson of Edward Shippen. He was the past governor of Pennsylvania. Shippen is pals with Benjamin Franklin, who he will end up founding the University of Pennsylvania with around the same time as College of New Jersey. This is like, I assume that if you're founding universities, uh, you're so these are elite circles that these people are uh, all running in. So Aaron Burr is part of a lineage here. Now, wait for it. You're wait for it. Mm -hmm. Wait for it. So William Shippen is the natural choice for taking the kids as his brother. Another Edward Shippen is really tight friends with, was tight friends with Aaron Burr Sr. This Edward Shippen is also one of the co-founders of College of New Jersey. So that's how tight circle, it gets tighter. So William has a brother, Edward. Edward has a granddaughter. Her name is Peggy. Peggy Shippen, if that doesn't sound familiar, it probably should. She's the second wife of Benedict Arnold. Hmm. It's too much. Yep. Okay, so little Aaron and his sister get sent to the Shippens for a few years where the children are cared for until Esther, Aaron's mom, her brother, his name is Timothy Edwards. He's their uncle. An uncle obtains formal guardianship of Aaron and his sister when Aaron's like three, four years old. Uncle Timmy is 21. Mm. <laughs> so a little bit of an unconventional family sitch there. But yeah, I guess smallpox outbreaks will do that, so. But Aaron Burr, he's a smart kid. I'm not going to say he's cool, but he's really smart and he's really gifted. And by the time that Aaron is 13, he has been accepted for advanced placement. Guess where? In the College of New Jersey. Ah. Of course he is, mm -hmm. but this isn't without merit. He enters college as a sophomore. Mm. 13 years old. Doogie Hauser over there. Yes. 1769. Three years later, Aaron Burr's going to graduate in 1772 at the age of 16. College was different then. <laughs> Aaron will continue to hang out in school until he receives his 10,000 pounds that dad left him in 1773. And then, huzzah! We're entering the American Revolution. So he's an authentic trust fund baby. Correct. Okay. You got it. Totally. Okay. This is only the beginning. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back from break, we're going to land in 1775 when Aaron Burr goes looking for a job with one general, George Washington. Hmm. We'll see you in a minute. 1775. <laughs> All right. 19-year-old Aaron Burr is like, Hey, George Washington, maybe I can help you in this, you know, war thing you got going. And George Washington is like, mm, I don't really have any job openings, kid, but have you met my friend Alexander Hamilton? Mm. Alexander Hamilton is 18 at this time. Burr and Hamilton are contemporaries. They're sure. a year apart. Aaron Burr's mad about this. I want to go to work for George Washington. He's so mad. That Aaron Burr is going to join up with maybe one of the most ill-fated expeditions, battles of all time. Aaron Burr is going to hook himself up with 
General Montgomery. Oh, no. To forge oh, no. the Battle of Quebec. It's up high, guys. You don't... Uh, yeah. Don't attack it Canada. goes poorly. Especially the British strongholds of Canada. Mm-hmm. At the Battle of Quebec... Oh, it, yeah. Montgomery eats some grape shot. <laughs> it's terrible. At great risk to his own life, Aaron Burr attempts to carry the... Shot with grape shot, dead body of General Richard Montgomery from the field. This action is so brave that Burr gets this uh, big reputation. He's going to get promoted to lieutenant colonel. The Battle of Quebec mm, fails. Fails spectacularly. Big time. Big time. And Aaron Burr is going to spend his winter of 1776 literally chilling in the cold with Benedict Arnold. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. This story is just too much. So by June of 1776, Aaron Burr is back with George Washington. George Washington assigns Burr to his second in command, General Israel Putnam. From 1776 to 1779, Aaron Burr fights. He's at all the big battles, Valley Forge, Battle of Monmouth. But Aaron Burr isn't really healthy. And he is going to seek leave from the military without pay. He formally retires from military service at the old, ripe, long-lived age of 23 years old in 1779. There may be another reason that in 1779, retirement from the military looks attractive. Let's enter into the picture one Theodosia. Aw. Mm-hmm. Good song. <laughs> Aaron Burr is a side piece, or will become one, soon enough. They say nothing happened until it did of with they say Aaron that. and mm-hmm. Theodosia, but let's talk about it. People have always said that. <laughs> Theodosia Bartow is the love of Aaron Burr's life. She was born in 1746. She's older than Aaron by a decade. And the heart wants what the heart wants. Theodosia has just as tragic of a backstory. She's from a long line of settlers to America. The thing I need you to know about poor Theodosia, her father is killed in a carriage accident when she's just a few weeks old. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Her mother will remarry and go on to have five more kids. Theodosia is not particularly beautiful, but she's spirited and intelligent and witty And most assuredly, with a good character, she speaks French and English. Theodosia got married when she was 17 years old. This would be in 1763. The wedding is held at Trinity Church. Mm -hmm. Everything happens at Trinity Church. Sure. That's where Alexander Hamilton is buried, Uh correct? Yeah. Uh, Got married, buried. Like, everything happens at Trinity Church. It's really remarkable. New York City. Theodosia, young bride at 17, she is going to marry a British officer. His name is Jacques Marcus Prevost. He is not 17. He is 27. So there's 10 years between the two. Within the marriage, Theodosia is going to have five children. All of her kids are done by the time Jacques is appointed governor of the province of Georgia in Mm. 1778. This is after the British occupied Savannah, Georgia. So this is during the war. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So 1778, husband's away. This is a big deal in history. This is the year that Theodosia and Aaron Burr meet. 
how, and why. So in 1778, General Alexander sent Aaron Burr on a spy mission after his heat stroke following the Battle of Monmouth. Burr is serving in the Continental Army. George Washington sends him on a mission with benefits. Burr is assigned to check on the British positions in preparation for a combined attack by the Continental Army and the French regiments. At this time, the French have a fleet off Sandy Hook, and Aaron Burr is ordered to West Point in July of that year, and General Washington is like, great, now that you're at West Point, I'm going to give you a big job, Burr. I need you to escort these three highly placed loyalists under a white flag. You need to get them down the Hudson River to the enemy side. Theodosia Prevost, wanting to rejoin her family in New York City, gets permission from General Alexander to board that same ship, along with her half-sister, Katie DeVisme, as well as a servant. Aaron Burr was the one who got their names added to the passenger list. The trip takes five days, and in those five days, mm-hmm. everything changes as Aaron Burr is now in love. Romance blooms. Well, Theodosia's married, mm-hmm. but they're in love. Sure. And Aaron Burr is going to visit Theodosia at her home. Well, her husband's home. This place is called the Hermitage. He goes there all the time during the revolution. It's kind of the place to be. The Hermitage, the home after the Battle of Monmouth, Theodosia invites everybody. George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, Lawrence, Lafayette. They all hang out there during the court-martial of Charles Lee after that battle went so badly. I mean, is it odd that the wife of a really highly placed British officer, like the governor, the British governor of Georgia, is hosting all of the revolutionaries in her home, in his home? Heart wants what the heart wants. Okay. So people are scandalized by this Aaron Burr, Theodosia Prevost thing. Her husband's away and the two are carrying on legitimately mostly by letters, but it's a definite love affair. Aaron writes to his sister Sally saying Theodosia has an honest and affectionate heart. So there's a reason in 1779 Aaron Burr wants to get the heck out of the military so he can spend more time with his honey. Also, he goes to law school, (laughs) but he's at the Hermitage a whole lot more, and Aaron Burr has it bad over Theodosia, and everybody knows it. So, in 1780, Major Prevost, Theodosia's husband, who is now serving under the British in Jamaica, he leaves Georgia, goes down to Jamaica to kind of put down an uprising. He's injured. It's not great for him, but it's great for Aaron Burr. Prevost sends home reports that his medical condition is bad and there's not really like hospitals or like they're in Jamaica. Like he's, he knows he's going to die. He's anticipating his own death. He's going to send back his teenage sons who were with him in Jamaica back to Theodosia. Prevost will die in October of 1781. Oh no. (laughs) But that's not what Aaron Burr and Theodosia are saying. They will marry the following year in 1782 with no pesky husband to stand in their way. Their daughter, Theodosia Jr., 
is born in 1783, the following year. So there's enough time that pregnancy wasn't the reason for the marriage. They really were in love. Aaron Burr and Theodosia Sr. have 12 years of marriage. Theodosia's sick, though. She's ill. She's suffering during a lot of this. During this time, when they get married, they'll move back to New York City with Aaron Burr in 1782 having passed the bar. He's an attorney now. He's going to be a New York State lawyer. Burr will go on to serve in the New York State Assembly from 1784 to 1785, where he will support an unsuccessful resolution to abolish slavery. He goes on to become Attorney General of New York from 1789 to 1791. And then Aaron Burr defeats Philip Schuyler. Sure. For the U.S. Senate. For the U.S. Senate, Alexander Hamilton's father-in-law. Aaron Burr gets his senator office in 1791. He's six-year term, 1791 to 1797. During the 12 years that Theodosia and Aaron Burr are married before her death, the couple has another child who tragically dies at the age of three. Two more stillborn children come. Like, it's just tragedy. Mm -hmm. Just my kingdom for an antibiotic, right? Would have solved a lot of problems back then, yeah. In 1794, during Aaron Burr's Senate term, Theodosia passes away. Mm. It's terribly sad. He is bereft. His wife is dead. Now he has Theodosia Jr., a daughter to deal with. But hold on. There's a little bit more to this story. I want to introduce in a lady named Mary Emmons. She is a woman of color. She is from Kolkata, India. And she works as a servant for Theodosia Prevost back at the Hermitage. She's worked for Theodosia for years. And when Theodosia and Aaron Burr get married, Mary Emmons comes with them to New York. Is this a nanny gate situation? Well, Aaron Burr and Mary Emmons have a relationship too, which produces two children. Oh my God. John Pierre and Louisa Charlotte. Does this overlap with the marriage or is this after Theodosia dies? Oh, no. This is during the marriage oh of God. Theodosia. Now, Burr does not at some point, once he has kids with Mary Emmons, he puts Mary and Theodosia in separate homes. So when Burr is serving his Senate term mm -hmm. in Philadelphia, 1791 to 1797, Mary Emmons and her kids, Burr's kids, are chilling in Philly. Oh, in a completely separate household than Theodosia sure. in New York with Theodosia Jr. Oh, my God. So dudes have always been doing this. Dudes have always been doing this. <laughs> so, like, we know about Sally Hemings and mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson. like, But Aaron Burr, this kind of flies under the radar. He's not remembered for this particularly, but wowza. Here's why I bring this up. There's a lady. Her name is Sherry Burr. She attends Princeton back in whatever. She's a professor now. Uh, uh, okay, so she's alive today. Oh, alive today. But when she attends Princeton, she gets this call. She's a woman of color, too. But she gets a call like, hey, we are inviting you to this Burr family society thing. And the Sherry Burr lady is like, mm, I'm black. I don't belong there. But it turns out. She could have gotten her Princeton education free oh, wow. because she's a descendant of John Pierre. Oh, wow. <laughs> well. 
Maybe Un- maybe Princeton will refund her tuition. She's a college professor now, I think, at like the University of New Mexico, but really incredible. Aaron Burr's whole secret family flies under the radar, so certainly he's probably devoted to Theodosia, but eh, I'm in Philly, I'm a little lonely, why not have a side family? Okay. Okay. Philip Schuyler is going to get his Senate title back in 1796, in that election. And here, Aaron Burr is going to get a few more ideas. Like, let's run for president. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the election of 1800. All right. We'll see you in a minute. Oh, I love history. What is past is prologue. So... Aaron Burr, I think I'd like to take a stab at running. Sure. Great. Because Washington stepped down in 97, is that correct? Correct. And John Adams Mm -hmm. wins in 1796 with Thomas Jefferson as his vice president. But it doesn't go great. Because at the time, (laughs) the Electoral College, it's a weird system, but anybody who runs... The top vote-getter, number one, becomes the president, and the second vote-getter becomes the VP. It, it is amazing to me that the founders of this country were like, you know, let's create a system that is just designed to cause political assassinations. I mean, that's sort of Because you can be from different parties, right? Like the president and vice president have just been campaigning against each other. And now you have to work together. Uh-huh. Well, for I mean, Adams, but the only thing keeping the vice president from the big chair. <laughs> Adams and Jefferson do not get along. They have very differing, like way mm-hmm. different sure. ideas on how it should be done. And they're partners, but they hate each other and they serve together under this weird system. And here in 1800, the next election, the oh gosh, it's nasty, nasty, nasty. The press is nasty. The candidates and their camps are nasty because Adams and Jefferson are running again in the election of 1800. It's ugly. There is no such thing as a civilized past. So let's talk about the 12th Amendment to the Constitution. Is this a little bit trashy and it gets no respect? Pretty much centers in on the years we're going to talk about here. Elections of 1796 and 1800 go terribly because of this dumb rule. The 12th Amendment is ratified in 1804. And to your point, the founding fathers, right, are going to think, maybe thought, everybody's on the same side. We've been fighting against the British, Mm -hmm. the king, the power, the man. Why wouldn't we in this new country all work together Uh to found and foster these ideals which we hold the failure yeah. the failure to anticipate political parties is the most gigantic oversight of that generation <laughs> after 1796 just was bad by 1800 political parties are like hmm we would like maybe to find a way to thwart the system So they will choose running mates for both John Adams and Jefferson. We want, hoping their man could be elected VP too, and that way we avoid all of this kerfuffle. Sure. The Federalists, John Adams, they choose Charles C. Pickney. 
The Democratic Republicans choose Aaron Burr for Jefferson. Okay. Each elector, and this is in the original formation of the Electoral College, votes for two candidates. The elections take place from October 31st, Halloween, 1800, to December 3rd, 1800. A total of 4% of the population vote in this election. (laughs) Again, what is past is prologue. History is everything and does have its eyes on you. Voting is disputed in this (laughs) election, number one. Stunner. I mean, only so many folks can vote, but the results Mm -hmm. are contested. But at the end of it all, on January 2nd, 1801, it is announced that Jefferson and Burr have both tied with 73 electoral votes apiece. Well, how do you, how did they resolve that? Well, on one hand, it's great. This is a resounding victory for the Democratic Republicans. Sure. The president and the VP aren't going to be split between two parties, but... Who's oh, going to no. be president if they have the same number of electoral votes? If you had to choose, if you had to choose, what happens? So Congress goes into session in February 1801. Goes into session. Goes into many, many sessions. The thing I need you to know is between the election and the squabble and the upcoming Congress session in the same month, young Theodosia Jr., Aaron Burr's daughter, is going to marry a South Carolina boy. His name is Joseph Alston. They get married in Albany. This is a week, the wedding is, before it all goes down in Congress. So Aaron, naturally, is going to attend the wedding of his daughter. Of course, yeah. This is a week before Congress is going to reconvene. Because this is the thing where the House of Representatives ends up deciding who wins because the Electoral College didn't do it. Correct. So Congress gets together, and after seven days and... 36 rounds of voting. Oh my God. Jefferson is elected president with Burr as his vice president. How does this shake down? Okay. This means John Adams is our very first one-term president. When the mostly Federalist House elects Jefferson president and Aaron Burr vice president. But there's more to this story. So Theodosia Jr. gets married to Alston and Burr goes to the wedding. But during that time, Jefferson makes a shady deal with a delegate from Delaware to change his vote while Burr's gone to attend the wedding of his daughter. I mean, strike while the iron, whatever. Also, Hamilton gets involved because even though Hamilton's political career is ruined after the Mariah Reynolds thing back in 1797, people are still like Hamilton who do you go for? Mm-hmm. And Hamilton sides with Jefferson. It's all very, very shady. Yeah, memories fade, but yeah, he sort of ends up being like a bit of an elder statesman or something. So March 4th, 1801, everyone's sworn in and welcome to the Jefferson administration. But Jefferson, it's peaceful transfer of power, which is great, but Jefferson is like, mm, no, we're not going to do this again. Hence the ratification of the 12th Amendment in 1804, so that doesn't happen. Which changes up how the like the vice president is no longer the second place vote getter. Correct. Jefferson is reelected in the next election. Byrd <laughs> loses his race <laughs> for governor of New York that same year in April. Hmm. And after Hamilton swayed the 
election of 1800 thing, and Hamilton still won't shut up. Hamilton always running his mouth. He did it in Burr's campaign. And Burr is, like, not a good loser. So here in 1804, Burr's a little mad and challenges Hamilton to a duel. Mm -hmm. Also, during this time in May, so the duel is challenged April. In May of 1804, Burr is planning on invading Mexico, too? I do recall this uh-huh. about Aaron Burr, yeah. He's got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. July 11th in 1804 uh, at Weehawken, New Jersey, mm-hmm. Aaron Burr shoots Hamilton, and Hamilton dies. And then Aaron Burr is literally on the run. For the next 25 years or so for Burr, he's a big old spy. He's got a lot of aliases. He goes to France to help Napoleon. He's arrested. He's tried. There's a lot happens. I mean, a lot. His darling daughter, Theodosia Jr., is lost at sea. What? Mm-hmm. That's a different story for a different day. Was she ever found? No. Okay. No, and Burgess goes to the docks. I want to say 1816 is when she's lost. He goes to the docks every day waiting for his daughter to come and return, who just never does. Wow. Tragedy. Tra- sure. Abject sure. tragedy. Was he ever tried for the duel with Hamilton, or was that just Yeah. Kind of, okay. Yeah, he's tried all the time. I mean, he's got <laughs> so many fake names, so many trials. It's incredible. That's 25 years of Burr being shady. But we're not here for the Burr being shady podcast. We're here for the trashy divorces. So let's get to the shadiest, best, entirely best part of this story. Burr, by 1830, is sad alone, broke. In 1830, he's going to suffer a slight stroke. His reputation is shot. His political career is done. His legal career is done. Burr is broke financially too. And why not use this time, because Burr's a planner, he's a schemer, to make a marriage strategic for money and social Hmm. stuff. Sure. Enter into the picture, Eliza Bowen Jumel. Now, you may not think Eliza would be the best first choice, but her story is kind of amazing. She was born Betsy Bowen in 1775. She's raised in a brothel in Providence, Rhode Island. She's going to make herself a little acting career in New York City. And Betsy Bowen marries really, really well. She marries a guy named Stephen Jumel. He's a wealthy wine merchant. The rumor is that Betsy tricked Stephen into marrying her with Betsy saying, I have a fatal disease, but (laughs) no matter. Stephen and Betsy, when Betsy also through time has fancied her name up to Eliza. In 1810, Eliza and Stephen buy 140 acres, an estate that was used as one of Washington's headquarters during the Revolution. This is in northern Manhattan. It is then called Washington Heights. They call this Mount Stephen, and they plant some of the earliest vineyards in our country. Peach, apricot, apple trees, all for cider. They're your kind of people. They are my kind of people. So uptown living is great, and it stays that way for Eliza and Stephen For about 22 years until 1832, Stephen passes away at the age of 70. Good, long life. Mm -hmm. Stephen leaves Eliza his fortune. 
and Eliza is now the wealthiest woman in America. Wow. So Burr sets his sights right on that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Eliza needs a man to help. She needs somebody with a little power because she is going to get... She has an art collection. She's a big-time socialite. Like, she's not an unimportant person. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't want to be taken advantage of. And Burr, quite frankly, like needs the cash and she can open social doors for him and bring the creme de la creme of New York to her country estate. And Aaron Burry's ambitious and he's got plans and he has debts and the, it doesn't work out great for either one of them. They got a lot more than what they were bargaining for. You want to guess how long the marriage between, I'm sorry, they do marry in 1833. Eliza's 58. Aaron Burr is 76. Oh, my God. (laughs) Aaron Burr is dependent on friends for money. Mm -hmm. So the wealthiest woman in America, like, kind of a prize. What's in it for her, though? Is it like, well, he's a former vice president. Does he have political connections still? land. She does a lot of stuff in Europe. Like, it probably helps to have a man. So he's a statesman, I suppose. Sure. Okay. Want to guess how long the marriage lasts when they do marry? I mean, I'm thinking how long does he survive at that age in that time? Uh, three years? Four months. Oh, God. Four months. Four months. Eliza is like, I have got to get out of this marriage. I need to find a lawyer. What lawyer could I find to help me, a 58-year-old lady, sure. divorce my 76-year-old husband. Sure, just opens up the hmm. Manhattan phone book for divorce lawyers, probably. Well, maybe. Enter <laughs> into the picture. Eliza's divorce lawyer. His name is Alexander Hamilton Jr. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? No! It's the best story! <laughs> The second son of Alexander Hamilton and Eliza Schuyler, Mm -hmm. Alex Hamilton Jr., is remembered. He served as a general during the War of 1812, and he was the United States Attorney for East Florida. But he's also a really, really good lawyer. And Eliza hires him, and divorce is filed by Eliza on the anniversary of the duel with Hamilton. Oh, my God. Wow. History really did have its eye on some of this, didn't it? Oh, God. I just have chills. I love this story. Wow. So Eliza claims Aaron Burr had committed adultery at divers times with divers females. In a four-month-long marriage. And also that he'd squandered her fortune. Sure. I believe that. <laughs> Aaron Burr argues that having affairs with younger women was according to the law of nature impossible because he's 76. Like, I can't even sleep around on you because I'm too old to do that. Burr stalls this case. He's filing letters and petitions to the court at a rate of four to one Mm. for Eliza's. He stalls. He's got 15 adjournments of this case. Talk about wasting time. He, Burr, will make his own accusations of adultery. It's nasty. They fight. They reconcile. There's more fighting. There's more pleadings. And Aaron Burr isn't getting any younger. Correspondence flings back and forth. Three years the divorce takes. With Burr suffering more strokes during those three years. But it is on September 14th, 
1836 that the divorce of Aaron Burr and Eliza Burr is finally final. And Aaron Burr dies the exact same day the judgment comes down. No way. Wow. In the settlement, Eliza kept everything. Sure. Her money, her estate. Burr would have been destitute, but Burr's dead. Sure. So that is, wow, a little bit of trashy history. Oh, my God. And the trashy divorce and scandalous side piece. And the wowza. most satisfying thing that Alexander Hamilton Jr. did in his career. Now, Eliza Schuyler, his mom is still alive at this point. Hmm. So can you imagine? She's like, come on over for lunch, son. Uh-huh. Give me all the dish oh, on yeah. how that's going. Zing that burr. Wow. Aaron Burr. Murderer. Wow. Yeah. Secret side family. Trashy divorcee. God, I love that story. It really does have everything. Yeah. That is, I mean, it's a remarkable life, although that is, yeah, a lot of underhanded shenaniganing. That part wasn't included in Hamilton, the musical. We kind of ended in 1804, but that's the rest of it. Oh, I love this podcast. Thanks, everybody, for being here and tuning in. If there are trash cans, they're all in Weehawken, Mm -hmm. probably. Sure. Or at the Battle of Quebec, or in Mexico, or over in France. Like, Aaron Burr, man. (sighs) Amazing. I'm glad that our politics has always prominently featured scoundrels. Well, and that's the thing. People are like, oh, politics today. I'm like, (laughs) Mm. Have have you gone back? Because there is no such thing as a civilized past. People have always been trashy. Absolutely. Since the beginning of time. God, I love that story. It's so much fun. <laughs> Hope y'all enjoyed that ride mm-hmm. as much as I enjoyed telling it to you. We are going to be back Wednesday with more fresh and hot trash candy. Yeah, I'm planning ahead. I got something really fun. I don't know what you have. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about we'll it. We'll talk about it after this. Privately. Privately. Don't forget, if you are looking for more Trashy Divorces, you can find us over at patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces. That's the place to go. To get info on early and ad-free episodes and bonus episodes and dumpster dives and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a little bit of listening in your podcast rota for Mondays or Thursdays, done and done. My little high society true crime Dominic Dunn podcast Mm -hmm. drops. And on Thursdays, Stacey. Trashy Royals, where you are lately walking us through the... Epic trashiness of the Mountbatten family. We have made it to Edwina and mm-hmm. Louie Dickie Mountbatten. Sure. We introduced them last week and got them shipped. So now they're engaged. And this week we are getting to the wedding and the honeymoon really, really being over. God, it's such a good story. If you are into that, please join us over there. In the meantime, y'all have the most tremendous week. Thanks for spending your time with us, telling your friends about all the trashy things we do, your kind reviews, your emails, all your support in every way. We simply adore your trashy hearts. Absolutely. And friends, until we meet again, I hope that you will keep your hands clean. I hope that you'll keep your hearts trashy. Big love, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, 
with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.